Hello, this is Brooke Gilman with ESEC Lending, and we have another ESEC Lending Insights podcast today. And today, I'm on my own as a host. My colleague, Peter Basler, decided um, to bow out of this particular topic. I can't imagine why, but I find it incredibly riveting. And the topic is SFTR, which is Securities Finance Transaction Regulation. And today, I have the pleasure to be joined by my colleague, out of the UK, Ed Oliver, and Ed heads up our product development area as well as activities related to market regulation. And Ed is coming to us from a very small town, he says, outside of London, Bolney. Did I say it correctly, Ed? It's close enough. <laughs> Good, and um, yes, very happy to have you join me today to talk about SFTR. And the reason why we're gathered today in particular, it's a, we're actually recording this on a Friday, July the 10th. It's because on Monday, July the 14th, it's a 13th. 13th. Thank you. Yes, there's only two days in a weekend, I guess. Thank you, Ed. <laughs> but uh, on Monday, it's a sort of momentous day in the area of SFTR and for all those in the industry that have been working tirelessly for years on it in preparation for what is going to be, I guess, what, phase one and phase two going live on Monday? And so, it is. yeah, so we thought we would touch base with Ed to uh, get the latest and the greatest on activities related to SFTR and, yeah, take a bit of a step back maybe in terms of helping our listeners and importantly focused on beneficial owners and, and those that know a lot about SFTR and maybe others that only know a little bit and maybe taking a first step back at just reminding us why SFTR came into place sort of on the back of the global financial crisis out of 2008 timeframe and the efforts for global markets, regulators, and in particular out of Europe to put in additional regulation around um, stabilizing the financial markets and in particular with focus on the shadow banking industry, which of which securities lending sort of fell into. And so maybe, Ed, can you first just take us back to that time frame and sort of what the original intent and focus of SFTR was and give us a, a bit of a highlight there first? Yeah, I mean, I think you've touched on it. It was obviously born out of the, uh, the global crisis back in 2008. So uh, effectively, you know, the regulators decided that shadow banking, which includes securities lending and repos, they want more transparency on, on that. And so, yeah, the Financial Stability Board that was formed came out with a, a framework for addressing the uh, shadow banking risks in securities lending and repo and had 13 recommendations that they sort of led directly to the creation of what they call an FSB Workstream 5. It's all sexy language in this uh, regulatory landscape we live in. And that went on to really define you know, SFTR here in Europe. And if you like, the expectation is that this transparency will actually play out in lots of markets worldwide. It's just that Europe's gone first. So Europe devised SFTR, and that was formally adopted in 2015. So since then, the industry has been working on sort of effectively reaching the point that we're at as you listen to this today on, on Monday morning, the 13th of July 2020, where the first reporting is going to be due. So you're quite right, Brooke, in saying that, you know, phase one and phase two is due today. And that's the, um, the banks and the central counterparties due to start reporting any new transactions they do today. And then there's a phase three, which we as an organization are very focused on, which is um, in October, October the 11th. 
And then there's also a phase four, which is for non-financial counterparties that takes place early in 2021. You know, I think I'm reading uh, Andy Dyson's comments from from, um, last week where he says this is probably the single biggest change to our industry in living memory. And he's been around longer than I have, so he should know. But, um, you know, I think I think it's a fair comment to say that we have never seen sort of one of these big technical data builds like this ever before. So it's a big day. Right. Good. Okay. So I want to make sure we do focus on phase three, which is most relevant to beneficial owners and in particular our client base. But before getting there, let's maybe just chat more about what SFTR is and what the requirements are. And so you know, as you've noted, so the origin was to create more transparency, more reporting of data into this area of the financial markets that in the last global financial crisis, regulators didn't have a lot of transparency into. So I get that. And and other markets, and while you're absolutely right, the EU has led on SFTR, and SFTR is really absolutely the most robust of the regulatory reporting requirement changes that have occurred in the past, you know, 10 plus years or so. There are others and, you know, other markets have instituted more and, and you know, really SFTR is a piece of, I know, a, a broader work stream, but there are other additional enhanced reporting requirements that a lot of participants in lending are now having to do. But can you speak about SFTR specifically? And it's more than just reporting, for instance, into annual reports or fund prospectuses. It is daily data. It's a lot of data. So give us a sense of that. And, you know, and, and how, and then maybe you can speak to, and, and it's also a will be, once phase three is implemented, two-sided reporting. So can you speak to kind of what it's going to include and the level of, of information? Yeah, no, you make a good point. SFTR is broader than what we're talking about today. So you're right, there have been pieces of SFTR that have already come where now, you know, asset owners are giving a lot more detail about what's going on in their periodic reporting, for example. So those pieces have gone ahead of us. But now this bit is really about getting more data to regulators so they can see exactly what's going on in this industry. So there's 150 odd fields of data that could potentially be reported across different types of transactions, different, different types of securities finance transactions. The ones we're focused on really are securities lending and repo. And in securities lending, there's probably about 90 odd of those fields that will be reported in a typical securities lending transaction. Okay, now, if you think, Brooke, we've been reporting securities lending transactions to data vendors for many years, and you know, we use those every day in our day-to-day activity, we probably only report about 20 fields because those are the ones that are uh, sort of meaningful to the revenue you're making from from lending and things like that. So a lot of SFTR data is actually reference data. So it's bringing in things that we've not seen before, which is uh, in our fields anyway, is legal entity identifier, for example, the LEI. So there is an LEI that would apply to each of our lenders. There's an LEI that will apply to each of our borrowers and also to the issuers of the security as well. So that, that was a brand new thing for, for uh, the securities finance industry. There's a unique transaction identifier, UTI. Again, we all have our own one of those in our systems, but this is a brand new common terminology that is being used in our industry for the first time. And then lots of reference data around the securities that we're lending, the securities that we're taking as collateral. So you you build out that and you get to these sort of 90-odd fields that effectively are going to be reported for every single transaction that we uh, 
that we send down and and let's talk about how what's happening with those transactions so those transactions are going to go to a trade repository and there's about four trade repositories in Europe that are going to be processing these uh, securities finance transactions and effectively once it gets to them they are then providing it to the regulator and the regulator will then get this enormous data set and uh, I suspect we'll start to uh, work out what they're going to do with it over the next sort of two or three years but it's going to be a massive massive um, data uh, impact to them but but that's that's the process that's happening and most agent lenders like ourselves are uh, using a vendor solution to help with the processing the reconciliation that is required because as you pointed out this is for any EU lender who's lending to an EU borrower it's a two-sided reporting requirement. So what we mean by that is uh, the EU lender is in scope uh, of the SFTR transaction, and therefore they have to report to, to a trade repository. And when they do, when the way they're going to do that, typically, as, as all of our clients have done, is they're going to delegate that responsibility to their lending agent, because we as lending agent actually, frankly, have most of the data. So why, why should we not do that for them? So our clients have delegated that to ESEC lending, we're going to provide those reports, in our case, through a solution being provided by Pyram and IHS Market, and then Pyram and IHS Market will then report that on to the trade repository. And then at that point, the client will then come back in and be able to see what's been reported on their behalf and be able to look at reporting every day, should they want to, to see you know, exactly the state of, of what's been reported and see if there's any breaks, um, any problems with those transactions. At the same time, the borrower on the other side, if it's an EU borrower, is doing exactly the same process. So they're reporting uh, through to their own trade repository because they have the same requirement. Okay, so I want to go back to a point that you sort of made reference to, which is what ultimately might be done with the data. And I know that, you know, that's yet to be made clear. Um, and that the regulators probably, you know, A, don't quite know what they might do in terms of their insights into this market until they're sort of seeing into the market with the data in hand. But, you know, it's, it's a lot of data fields. It's far more than, than this industry may have been, as you noted, reporting for more of the transactional commercial reasons. But all of these data fields need to be reconciled. And so can you speak to, you know, I guess it's two things. One is how well the industry was already positioned just in terms of daily processing of reconciliation of data amongst the two sides of a transaction, a lend, lender and a borrower and, and the agents in between already doing a lot of reconciliation on a number of those data fields anyway, before this came into play. But can you speak to maybe the benefits that this industry might experience because of SFTR and because of the increased requirement for reconciliation of data over and above, you know, what was already perhaps being done. But then can you also speak to, you know, maybe a little bit more insight as to what perhaps the regulators might start to see with all of the data, knowing that, you know, if you think, if you look at it and, and take it all the way back down to an individual lender level, every lender for the most part is going to have their own framework of risk management for their program. They're going to have specific number of counterparties, they're going to have specific collateral requirements, they're going to, you know, have very specific uh, diversification limits on, you know, how much they're willing to put out to one counterparty, how much they're willing to take of a particular collateral type, etc. And so if, if originally the regulators were sort of worried about exposures in this 
area of securities lending and repo as sort of an unknown and, and could there be massive exposures that just are unknown and cause problems. Can you maybe speak to what, you know, if you sort of add up all those lenders and, and you know, individual risk profiles, what that might, you know, I mean, you're kind of, you would need to speculate, I appreciate, but, you know, how that might feel to the regulators. So I guess that was a two-part, two-part question there to challenge you. There was, I think it was about a 10 part question, but it was fine. We'll, we'll, we'll work through it. Tell me, tell right. me what I don't get to. So, okay. So let's, let's first of all, look at what happens today in terms of reconciliation. And one of the reasons why SFTs, securities finance transactions are probably slightly better placed than the rules that went before this. And when I'm talking about rules that went before this, I'm talking about EMEA, where in Europe, people had to start reporting their derivative activity. For derivatives, there really wasn't a reconciliation background. So it was brand new. And on day one, it was a bit of a horrible mess. Um, and it took quite a while uh, to work through that. Now, we actually have the advantage that we've been using reconciliation tools in securities finance for many years. So, you know, contract compare is a, uh, is, is a product that we're very familiar with. And that means we already look at certain elements of our contracts and compare them to the borrowers and make certain that, you know, if there are any breaks, we get those resolved. So that, that does happen. Now, that is a really a, a way to improve your process around month end when you start to do your billing, because if you've cleared up your contracts intra-month, then your billing should be right at month end. So you don't quite have the same sort of pressure as you're going to have under SFTR, where if there's a new loan today, I'm going to report that to a trade repository by close of business tomorrow. So if there's breaks, this is going to become a much more of an intraday process for everybody. You really want to be able to reconcile and sort breaks out before they get to the trade repository. Once it gets to the trade repository, then you've got to kind of rework your transaction and, and that becomes a little bit more painful and both parties need to make certain they're doing things at the same time to make certain it's clean. So trying to do it intraday on, on trade date will be most people's aim and that's going to provide as you can imagine, quite a few, few new challenges. So although we've got a reconciliation background, this is slightly different. Now, the other thing you said was that um, all the fields are going to require reconciling, which, which is not actually strictly correct. There are, in those 90 fields, some of those fields don't need to, to reconcile at all, don't need to match, don't need to reconcile. And then there are other fields that do, but they're actually being phased in over the course of sort of two or three years. So in October, when the two-sided reporting starts, because you've got both the lender and the borrower at that point reporting, there will be around 30 fields that will be required to match Okay, for, uh, for day one. And the thing that we're aware of, and, and part of the work that's been done in the industry and the working groups that have been sort of together for about the last two and a half years, is working through those data fields and trying to figure out, okay, you know, are, we, are we good on understanding what that data field actually is? So in most cases, I think we are, and, and that's all good. And, and in most cases, those, those fields will match. But there are certain elements to the, um, the ESMA guidance on SFTR where they require um, reference data to be very, very similar, and you have to operate and provide data within certain tolerances in order for it to match. Now, on things like pricing, foreign exchange rates, et cetera, people use different reference data. So there's going to be differences there and the tolerance is going to be very tight. So there's going to be, there's definitely going to be breaks on day one in October. That's something that if you ask, you know, what should we be talking to clients about between now and then? One of the things we need to make them aware of is it's not going to be perfect. 
when you see your first report when you go in and log into your trade repository there's going to be breaks so that's the first message and breaks isn't necessarily a bad thing really what we're saying is you should be looking also at the benchmarking that's being provided by the trade repository about typical levels of breaks in the industry if you've got 80 percent breaks on a certain data field and the typical industry level is five percent then that would be something that you'd want to be concerned about so i think Another thing that we're going to spend a lot of time on over the next three months is making clients aware of the matching fields that they should really be focused on and where they may start to see breaks and where they may not. So I think um, there's a bit of an education process that's going to happen. And that would be the way, though, that I would suggest that clients start to think about how do I look at this data in, in October when I'm starting to get access to it? And how do I figure out whether something's important to me and whether it's not? So let's, and even though I asked you to address then another topic, which was sort of um, the view that regulators might have on this data um, and the risks in this market, let's, let's table that and put that back to the side for a moment, because what you're talking about right now is, again, come October, it will be then the requirement that EU-based lender, lending participants, um, beneficial owners in the market have the requirement to report. They can delegate that to someone often will, most will do in all of ours or delegating to ourselves as an agent to then report through to the trade repository. But what you're talking about right now is those EU beneficial owner lending clients will then need to, their involvement, assuming that they've delegated to an agent like ourselves, is that they then will need to have oversight on the outputs coming out of the trade repository and will have to do certain checks. So that, that's what you're speaking to right now, correct? Absolutely. Yeah, they can't, they, although they're delegating, it is still their responsibility. Right. So they right. do need to check that, that the reporting is being done as accurately as possible. And we haven't specifically said this, even though I know it's been said probably many times over the past number of years, but just again, the relevance, if, if, if we have a global group of beneficial owners listening to this podcast, this is relevant in terms of their own need to report as a lender. It's only relevant to you lenders for other beneficial owners globally participating in the market, what they should be, what they should care about is just having an awareness of this. And if they're transacting with European-based borrowers as counterparts and lending a repo, then understanding that the agent then needs to be sending data to ultimately match with that counterpart on those transactions, but they're not specifically required to do so. Is that correct? Yeah, so they definitely don't have to report. If you're outside the EU, you have no, no need to report. So that's important. But if you're transacting with an EU borrower, it's important that you understand that that EU borrower is doing some reporting on that transaction. There's a lot of one-sided reporting okay. that's so, going to be ha taking place. So on um, for non-EU, so the only two-sided reporting is EU lenders to EU borrowers for any global beneficial owners outside of the EU trading with an EU borrower, it will be one-sided reporting that the EU borrower has to report, but agents should care about making sure that the data is good with that EU counterpart, just in terms of you know, supporting that counterpart properly. Is that a fair summary? And I think if you think about what we've been doing in the last few weeks running up to this 13th of July date, it's been all about proactively making certain that the borrowers have everything they need to be able to report their side of any new transaction we do on the 13th of July. 
And one other area that I think just think is sort of mind blowing, if you will, when you think about our industry. So I'll put it in context of mind blowing about our industry <laughs> is that, you know, you've noted a <laughs> lot of time spent by a lot of market participants. It's been five years in ter terms of like sort of operational readiness in the making. I know that you, through your role with ISLA and work on sort of the subcommittee around SFTR, have been heavily involved as have others in the industry and spending lots of time and lots of hours sort of makes you wonder what what you're going to do. I mean, you guys are, you've, you have so, probably have such a bond. How are you going to, you know, function without all of your SFTR cohorts <laughs> in the industry um, after all is said and done? But this has also created sort of another pretty substantial area of service vendors at either existing that have added additional services or even new vendors that have sort of come into our industry. Because, I mean, this has really created a massive amount of support in terms of, again, service vendors that are required to do this for a lot of folks. I mean, maybe not required, but a lot of people are choosing to use vendors. Can you maybe just speak to that for a moment and, and the change that it's brought? Yeah, and I think I think that's right. The vendors, the vendors that we're working with are typically those that have already been involved in this industry already process a lot of data for participants. So they have that familiarity, which is great. And this is a product they've been able to add on. So, you know, in our case, one of the reasons we chose the vendors we chose was because we already share a lot of data with them already. So it just made sense to, to do so. But obviously we, as we've discussed, there's a lot of additional data that we're now being able to, we're now having to put in. I think the, the, the vendor that's new, this is the trade repository. We've never had to report to a trade repository before. And so that's a new vendor relationship for us. But generally, I think the way I would look at vendor solutions for SFTR is this is a product and a requirement that is an expense over and above everything else we do. There's no revenue attached to getting SFTR right. There could be, you could argue we get it wrong, <laughs> that you're probably going to lose some revenue if you don't get it you know, you get it wrong. But the, the point of the matter is, this is a, a huge cost um, that the industry effectively is, is sucking up because we have to do it. Um, and we have to get that reporting right in order to be able to ensure that regulators are totally comfortable with, with what we're doing. And to make certain that, you know, as we said before, it's the client's responsibility to report. So we need to get this right. So the client has confidence in, in what we're doing as lending agents. So this is a, has been a massive project. Uh, we've put a lot of time and energy into it. And you multiply that out amongst the banks and the other lending agents in this industry. You look at the vendor solutions, the amount of resources they've put into it. It's certainly, if you think about the, uh, the ISLA working groups that we've been involved with, and you're right, I would actually miss them. Uh, although I think we're going to carry on meeting and there'll be, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's going to be an SFTR 2.0 at some oh, point. Oh, oh good. Um, I was worried that you wouldn't know what to do with yourself. So that, that makes me happy. No, it's super, <laughs> super excited about that. But it's, um, but I think, you know, the amount of work and effort that's gone into it. And I think that working group, brought together people who had never worked together before you know from lots of different banks and organizations and and we we've you know generally enjoyed uh, and got to know a lot of good people in this industry who frankly some of them are technicians that are way way better than i am who really know this their stuff uh, i think the industry is a big job and i think as recognizing that a working group was necessary and pulling together the right people giving that group, working group the leadership it needed to be able to get us to the point we are today yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, ISLA is valuable for a number of reasons, but this is one of those prime examples where ISLA shines in their ability to work across industry members and, you know, advocate and, and 
bring people together for a collective response and for the collective good. It's exactly what an association should be doing and they're doing a great job of it. Okay, well, let's just then, let's maybe look to wrap up in terms of going back to that because you referenced it one other time in, in what you just said a moment ago in terms of you know the importance of getting it right and and all market participants agents borrowers getting it right so that you know regulators are happy with quote unquote what we're doing so you know maybe if we could go back to just what i was commenting on earlier and close with sort of your final thoughts on you know again where you think that this might take us as a market but also maybe how regulators view this market you know what they've all you know the term shadow banking it's one of those you know it makes you think that people are lurking in the shadows and and that's obviously you know doesn't feel like a positive term is this does this mean that this industry will no longer be in the shadows now that sftr will really be shining a light on all of the data and all of the inner workings and bring a tremendous amount of transparency yeah, you've used all of the light and shadow an analogies I could possibly have picked up on there. So um, you've not left me with one I can use. But yes, I think you're right. We're busting out of the shadows, right? So um, the the fact is, yes, there will be data from sort of, you know, from Monday, there's going to be data coming in from the borrowers. From October, there'll be data coming in from the lenders. And I think when we've been in discussions with regulators, they're not expecting it to be perfect on day one. Okay, what they want to see is make certain that the reporting pipes are working, some activities being reported. And over time, clearly, the level of reporting, the level of matching will improve. It's exactly what we saw within MIR, which was, you know, day one, as I said, it was a bit of a mess. Over time, it, it got better. And, and that's what the regulators were looking for. And, you know, ultimately, for people who don't get it right um, down the road in, in two or three years time, perhaps there'll be penalties associated with it. But what they'll be looking for over the course of the next few months is that you know the reporting is taking place and that uh, you know, the data is coming through. And then over time, you can expect them to focus a little bit more on specific data fields and making certain that the levels of matching are where they should be. So I think you know, that's important. You've got to remember, I think, as we talk about this, that there are still going to be a lot of data discrepancies uh, and that's over and above the matching differences because there's a lot of one-sided reporting as i mentioned so there's going to be lots of borrows but not so much loans being reported yeah there's going to be the way it's being reported you're going to be reporting all of your collateral on day one but you're only reporting your new loans that are booked on that day so you might have a million dollars worth of loans on day one but you might already have 300 million dollars worth of collateral in your book and you're reporting your whole book so there's going to be discrepancies until you know until in a few months maybe even a year or two that the sort of loan book matches up to the collateral book and, and then you perhaps get a truer picture but again you may only get that truer picture for eu lenders lending to eu borrowers so how the regulators work through that will be very interesting but whatever happens they're going to have a lot more data on our industry than than they've ever seen and so, you know, whether that is sufficient to shine a light on us and give them some comfort that actually, you know, this isn't necessarily the bad shadow banking, but it's a, an area of financial industry that it does do good things. It does provide liquidity to markets and they will then have a sense that actually there aren't any things hidden in here that I should be worried about. It's a well-managed business. Risks are well-managed. And, you know, maybe that will allow a little bit of rolling back of regulation that's come in in the past and perhaps SFTR 2.0 will look a little bit nicer than SFTR 1.0. We'll have to see. All right. Well, this has been uh, riveting, as I said at the outset. So I appreciate the update. And uh, 
I know that if we weren't in the COVID era that I'm sure you and all of your SFTR committee friends would all be gathering probably at the pub at the end of today, but or on Monday uh, as people listen to this. And so I'm sorry that you guys will, well, hopefully you'll do that virtually. Hopefully you guys can all get together on a Zoom and uh, you know celebrate a first milestone and look forward to all the future milestones that you'll continue to have with one another. So thank you, Ed, and I appreciate that. And yeah, we'll, Maybe. we'll tune back in with you about other exciting market regulatory topics as they come up. So thank you, Ed.